there. Good again, afternoon, folks. everyone. <laughs> We're back ahead, again. Right. Hey, yeah, this is uh, 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 the show called Pillars of Franchising with Ray Pillar and Fred McMurray, and today's guest is Michael Liss. Welcome, Michael. How are you doing today? We're doing great. We're coming live to you from Oak Brook, Illinois. Oh, wow. Well, you are. And uh, <laughs> you don't have any snow there, do you? Well, we're trying to get rid of it. We've, we're, I think we're down to 10 inches now. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I feel so. so badly for both of you to be in that snow. Where There's no snow where I am, and it's hoodie weather. It's chilly here. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that chili means anything less than 70. Yeah, something like that. So, Michael, kind of give us a little rundown on what you do. Well, I'm a, a lawyer, and uh, since the very first day I started practicing law quite a while ago, um, all I've, ever, all I've ever done is franchising. My my very first job was uh, as an in-house attorney with a, a franchisor getting started in the Chicago area. A little later on, I was uh, part of uh, Fred DeLuca's organization with Subway and that. And, and uh, with these franchise organizations, there's all kinds of franchise laws, and then there's general corporate issues and real estate and employee craziness. And uh, um, after 11 years of doing that in-house work and general counsel role, uh, for the last while now, I've been spending about half my time helping people buy franchises and the other half of my time uh, helping people uh, become franchisors uh, to sell franchises. One of, one of the, uh, as a franchise owner, and one of the frequent questions uh, I get asked is, you know, is should I call existing franchises, both uh, ones that are in business and ones that are uh, formerly owned that franchise? And what what is your suggestion on that? Well, I think you have to have a thick skin. Um, you, um, they probably have uh, maybe half of your benefit you would get from checking out the franchisor could come from long calls, hour-long calls, with existing franchisees or former franchisees. The problem, though, is probably two-thirds of them will not talk to you. You might have, uh, you know, you call for somebody, they don't call you back. Uh, you call for somebody and you have a five-minute call, you know, and all it was very nice, but all you know is the the sky is blue and water is wet. Um, but, it's, but it's that last third that are gold, and you can ask anything with them. Uh, and you need a lot of those, I think. I think the, mm-hmm. the, big, the biggest weakness is people talk to three or four people, and then they say, uh, well, that's good enough for me. I'll buy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think they should talk to a, a whole lot more. I know personally before buying this particular franchise, called I called about 12 people, uh, 12 that were currently in business, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, six that were currently in business, and six that had had the franchise. And I, of course, I was really concerned. I, I got a pretty good results. I, I, I probably, I think I got all of them. Uh, so 100. Oh, that's unusual. Uh, yeah, that's that's good. yeah, yeah. 
but I was particularly interested in uh, what the people who formerly owned the franchise had to say, and I was waiting for one of them to say, yeah, those, that, you know, SOBs, you know, at, at the headquarters, they, you know. <laughs> but none of them said that, and that, that, that was really surprising to me. Most of them said, yeah, I either ran out of money or, you know, it wasn't for me, you know, things like that. What what kind of uh, results do you think other people are getting for other types of franchises? Well, it, it varies. Um, you know, if you, I found like if they're calling on these uh, senior care kind of franchises where a lot of the owners have a very big heart and they want to take care of people and that, I think you get a high percentage of franchisees that will call back. Um, but some of the other ones, I don't know, they're busy with their fast food thing or something, and you could have, you know, 10% that might call you back and have long calls. You know, one thing we should probably point out for everybody is, is that, uh, um, you know, with this national franchise law, um, there is this franchise disclosure document of a few hundred pages that everybody gets before they buy a franchise. And one of the sections in it is everybody's phone number, address, name, um, that's open, and the ones that left last year. Uh, and that's how yep. people get all these phone numbers, right? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I found it quite, quite interesting. I had some pretty long conversations with some of the owners. And, and of course, uh, I, I would imagine you also suggest visiting some existing franchises. Is that correct? If you can. I remember a local one where somebody was on the phone with uh, uh, something like a, a UPS store type franchise. It was a different brand, and they were having a great call. They were 20 minutes into it. They were asking all kinds of great questions. It was around 5 o'clock at night, and the owner finally said, you know, where are you calling from, you know? You want to just come by uh, the store here? We're closing up in 10 minutes. And, and uh, so uh, he said, yeah. And so he and the wife uh, on the call um, – hopped in the car, got over there. When they got there, in the back room with this huge packing table, um, what laid out on it, spread across the table, was like two years of financial statements. Um, so they were ready if people started asking questions like, you know, how much money did you make last year? What did you spend on advertising? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but the, the owners were just like remarkably open. Um, that's, that's about as good as, good as I've ever heard. Um, the, uh, but if you can do a, a lunch with somebody, if you can uh, uh, have the call be an hour, um, you'll, you'll start to get better and better at each call, you know, as you do the calls. You know, the, the first one, you're kind of nervous and you sound bad, but uh, there's, your second and third call gets better and better. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you do get better at it, and I, I think that was my case. What, what, what do you think... Um, is the most common, uh, this is going back a little bit to the conversation we had last week with uh, uh, the president of, an, uh, of the uh, Molly Made, uh, which is the one, the franchise that I'm in, uh, uh, kind of going back a little bit, what do you think is, is the ideal candidate for a franchise? Um well, it's a little bit similar to a job employment topic too, but it, it, it's this word "fit." It's um, it's uh, um, 
Each franchisor is different. You, know, you could take all the residential cleaning franchisors, and the personality and culture of each one is different. Um, so when you're buying a franchise, you've got to figure out what those different cultures are like and how people get treated, how you want to be treated. Um, you know, you're going to have other issues like success will mean the, the franchise buyer has enough working capital to tide him over until he makes money. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the standard things like, you know, the, the perseverance to get up every day when there's no boss telling you to get up because you're the boss. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's, that's um, true. You have to have to have that uh, entrepreneurial get up and go. Well, and sometimes it's all just because we're chasing the dream, and sometimes it's because we mortgage the house to borrow money to start the business. And <laughs> that's a motivator. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever it may be. Uh, um, but uh, it, it's um, you're your own boss, but. Uh, um, it doesn't mean you're you're probably working, you know, from noon to two each day. One of the questions, if you don't mind, I'm going to change gears just a little bit here. One of the questions that's always been on my mind is uh, when there is an argument between the franchisee and the franchisor, what is the most common complaint, uh, you know, I, I, I for some reason I always thought it was territory territorial complaints but can you tell me is there is there something else other than that uh you know that may even go as far as litigation yeah it it's you know a lot of franchises do not have territories or exclusive territories so that won't be the complaint in those right mm-hmm. um right right the um when as you asked the question what jumped into my mind as an answer um was sort of a finger pointing uh, you know, my franchise business, let's say, is not doing well. Um, can't be my fault, could it? So it must be, <laughs> you know, it must be the franchisor's fault. And the fault is that, you know, he's not running good ads. He's not giving me good advice. He's he's X, Y, and Z not doing his end as the franchisor. And that's why I've lost X amount of money. But that's mm-hmm. that's in the franchise context, but that's in a lot of relationships where one side points the finger at the other side. Yeah, so absolutely. As a follow-up, as a follow-up to that question, um, is there a way uh, when negotiating with buying the, the franchise that you can uh, reduce those issues in the agreement you negotiate? Or can you... Can you negotiate change the franchise agreement? Can you is it negotiable? Well, we'll do both of those. Um, the the actually surprisingly the easy the easy one to answer is our franchise agreements negotiable. Well, there's about five thousand different franchise systems out there, and uh, you know a few of them are huge and we've all know their names and they have a lot of stores, but probably eighty percent of them, maybe more are little tiny franchise systems that have three franchise stores, you know, 40 franchise stores. Um, And when they have fewer than 100 open units, um, I have found that probably 80% of them will negotiate changes to their franchise agreements, primarily because they're hungry 
uh, to make a sale. And mm-hmm. the reverse, and the reverse is true. When when they're a bigger name with lots of units, um, they're not hungry, uh, and they don't want to negotiate changes. But that's you know we call that that's in the franchise context. But that's like many things in life when you wonder who has the leverage. Um, but your other question, your other question, Fred, was uh, uh, how do you try to um, uh, write into a contract every kind of support provision? Um, you can write a few, but um, you know, I think maybe the better answer is uh, in those long calls with existing franchisees. If you called for sixty franchisees it took you 60 hours to do that and 40 of them barely told you know they didn't call you back and only had brief calls but you had 20 of them that you had hour-long calls with and you saw a pattern about whatever it was how good their support is and what they do with advertising and local training and um, special uh, advertising programs in the region if you find out what it really is, that may be two-thirds of what, maybe 80% of what your answer is going to come from on that. Because franchisors are going to want to maintain flexibility on, um, well, I don't know, McDonald's. It used to all be small hamburgers, and now I'm told it's their sales are more than half chicken. You know, and, <laughs> you know, um, and maybe that's good, or, you know... Um, the uh, the franchisors want to maintain that ability to you know add in drive through or add in breakfast, um, and um, if you they're not gonna they wouldn't want to tie down as much they probably don't. Let's touch a little bit about cost. One of the things that. Uh, I tell people is whatever the franchisor tells you you need, you want to double, maybe even triple what what that is uh, to uh, plan for the unexpected, a downturn in the economy right after you open or or something like that. What is your suggestion? I I think that's right on, actually. Um, And, again, I don't think that's unique to franchising. (laughs) I think uh, when we get home home repair quotes or, you know, anything we're kind of hearing – most of the time, the answer is assuming everything goes well, it's only whatever. Um, but how many mm-hmm. times does everything go just well, right? <laughs> that's, that's that's true. Right. You know, the, the, not uh, in the real world. The franchise disclosure document again, you know, has an item seven table where it itemizes each type of cost you would spend money on to get open. So there's a category for construction, a category for advertising, a category for working kit. Um, some franchisors lowball all the numbers and, you know, hey, you can be in business for a hundred grand. Um, but most of them do a different problem. They give ranges for each category, but they're so broad, you know, uh, construction could be anywhere from sixty thousand. To two hundred and fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. How do you use that to predict your own cost area? Um, yep. And uh, uh, so I, I kind of agree with you on that that feeling about double or triple. Um, mm-hmm. And 
especially yeah, during, during during my search, uh, you know, I found that it seems like some of the companies I was looking at, it's, the the amount they wanted was quite low. Uh, the amount they had suggested I would need would, was seemed to be very low, and it was almost as if they were saying, "Oh, you only need this, this much to get into the business," and it's like, "We'll we'll take that money, and then when you fail, we still have the money." <laughs> if you know what I mean? I know it's 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 um I don't think it helps the franchisor really to sell a franchise to an undercapitalized franchise buyer. I mean. They'll count it as a sale, oh boy, but they're going to, you know, have to live with an undercapitalized, struggling franchisee, and the franchisee will never blame himself, and and so the franchisor is going to have to put this guy's name and phone number into the franchise disclosure document, and here comes the next buyer, and he's talking to him about how happy is he or not, to be a franchisee. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. So you keep mentioning the wonderful FDD, the Franchise Disclosure Doc, which, as I understand, is mandated by the SEC? Uh, FTC, Federal Trade FTC. Commission. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. A- and and yet, by about 15 states. And mm-hmm. so people in various states, among them that I know of, of Wisconsin, Minnesota, and California. You can go up to their websites and search for the FDD. Um, and, and there are phenomenal things for if you want to, if you have insomnia, just read, start reading one before you go to bed and they put you to sleep. <laughs> uh, um, I, probably five pages in, you'll get that, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think are the, um, and I love all the contacts in there. Um, that's just a phenomenal way to talk to franchisees um what do you think some the the first if you had to rank the three the top three sections to read what would you say people should start with well you know in theory one of those items there's like 20 some items one of the items are you know everybody's phone numbers yeah um, i like that one and so um, that's to me has got to be the most important thing you do with an FDD is you know is call a lot of franchisees. Um, but more to your question, um, I guess I'd look at the item seven chart, which gives you the estimated initial investment to buy a franchise and get an idea of what you think it would cost. Because you know if if they're saying you need three hundred grand and all you've got is fifty thousand, you know you might as well know that right away. Um, the, um, lawyers like items, uh, uh, three and four, which talk about, you know, is the franchisor getting sued left and right? And are they having to chase down franchisees for not paying royalties? And is there turmoil in the system? Um, and, uh, or has management of the franchisor gone bankrupt in the past? And on all those topics, you can get like a paragraph or two about every dispute going on, and you'll get a sense of whether this is a kind of a clean sandbox to play in or if it's just a mess. Um, and those are items three and four of the um, title litigation and bankruptcy. Let's see, what else might be interesting? Um, the, um, the franchisor 
and will always be telling you they want to do great things for you. But it might be nice to know financially if they can afford to do all those great things. And so there is an audited financial statement on the franchisor uh, for each of the last three years, and you can get a sense of uh, are they making money and they can help you, or are they, uh, oh, my God, you know, they can't even pay payroll. Um, and, and those jump out at me, uh, Fred, about maybe what I would look at first. Um, when I work with a new franchise buyer client, we, we change the, the two or 300 pages into uh, something like Cliff Notes, and, and it's like uh, maybe 10 or 15 pages of bullet points and uh, everything good and bad. But we're mm-hmm. trying to, like, summarize the entire document. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know my favorites, uh, when I was looking for a franchise, where was the litigation pages? three? And, I don't know. This is 15 years ago, and this wasn't called the FDDD then. Yeah. It Same was numbers, called the uh, uh, numbers. <laughs> I forgot. Unified something or another. I can't remember. Right. But, uh, um it, that I really found interesting. Uh, as I re- back then, you had to there was, you didn't get them online. You couldn't get them online. You had to ask for them. And uh, when I get these thick packages in the mail, it's the first thing I'd go for. And like you know, and, and it was towards the front, so it was easy to tell whether I had to continue reading or not just by looking at those pages. Right. 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 So. so. Back to the uh, one thing you had mentioned, you used the phrase royalties. Um, do you have to pay royalties after you're no longer a franchisee? Well, it sure seems obvious you should not have to, and maybe up until about 10, 15 years ago, maybe most franchisors would have agreed with you. But there's been some lawsuits and some judges that have said, um, well, uh, you know, the franchisor says uh, you signed a, a franchise agreement for, ten, for the 10-year term, and uh, your business failed after, uh, let's say, three years. You're, I know you're not using their name, and they don't have to support you anymore, and they can sell it, the territory to somebody else, but... You know, they got they kind of have a point that they were counting on 10 years of rev, revenue from you. And, and just because, you know, you didn't make it after me, uh, I'm not so sure they should, you know, lose out on the seven more years of royalties. Well, that was all nonsense until about 10, 15 years ago. But now there's some cases that agree with that. And there are fr- probably over half of the franchisors that agree with that. And so they write things in their documents that say, yeah, I know you had a close, um, but you still owe us until the end of the franchise term. And and that's my biggest issue that I would, would want to get negotiated out of the franchise. Uh, it just doesn't seem fair at all from the point of view of um, what people are thinking going in. So you said if my franchise fails, I have to pay, but let's say I sell my franchise to somebody else so that they would be getting the revenue and would you still have to pay? There are are a a small percentage of franchisors 
that will have you, the selling franchisee, guarantee that the your buyer franchisee um, pays his royalties after you sold the store to him. That that's pretty outrageous too, from the point of view of yeah. a franchisee. That's not typical, but, then, but it's possible. It's out there in some agreements. That's why you hire a good lawyer, right, Michael? Right. Yeah, because that's the stuff that you say comes back and bites you, right? Right? I mean, that's, you know. Yeah, that's a, that would be part of the sales contract. What's funny is I sometimes have pointed out those kind of hot issues, hot paragraphs to a franchisor, um, and before the buyer has bought. And in, and in many of the smaller franchisors, the person says, wow, is that even in our agreement? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, their, it's their lawyer that's stuck it in on page, you know, 72. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Buried in the small print. Mm-hmm. So well, one of the things that uh, I get questioned about as, as an owner is, uh, and I do know uh, quite a few owners who have bought an existing franchise versus going in and buying a new franchise. What are some of the uh, uh, pitfalls in buying a uh, existing franchise that one would uh, look out for? Well, there's a lot of ways to do bookkeeping, a lot of ways to do accounting. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, When you own the business, sometimes you're, you're trying to um, not so much always make money, but but not have it all be visible to the IRS for taxes. And um, but when you want to go sell the business, um, you want to be able to show the buyer how you're making all this big money. And what happens is a lot of fast talk, where the seller is explaining to the buyer how, well, that's not the real number. The real number gets adjusted, restated by these 10 little factors here, and I'm sure you understand, and that's why I want double the price. And you need a good accountant to figure out what they're adjusting and stuff, because uh, it's, it's not going to be obvious with that. Um, now, I'm a huge fan of buying an existing franchise, you know, assuming that it's, you know, what you want, and it's that you can kind of see transparently what it is and agree on a price because, you know, you, you hit the ground running. I mean, it, it's uh, um, day one, you're taking money to the bank. Uh, day one, you've got customers and employees, whereas most franchises are for new locations. And, Ray, I can imagine when you first started uh, with the residential cleaning, you know, you had to go week by week and, Add a few more clients, right? Add a few more clients. Oh, absolutely, it, it it was a tough, it was a tough right. road to hoe. Uh, uh, and you know, my wife was still working uh, outside the business at that time, and there were quite a few weeks where her paycheck went to pay the employees. <laughs> so, right, right, right. You, know. you were you were building and believing the dream, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But one of the things I did do is uh, uh, I bought a, another. Uh, a franchise that was contiguous to mine, and uh, that helped. And that I'm going to lead into another question. What What are your thoughts on uh, financing, uh, you know, by by the seller? 
I do. I had a very good experience with that. But what are some of the other experiences? Uh, you know, with uh, with with other people where there's uh, seller financing. Well, I'll give you an example. You know, if if we were well, first imagine if we're just going to um, start a new business from scratch. You know, not buy an existing one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we go to our friendly business banker and say, you know. I need a lot of money to do something I've never done before, uh, and I and I don't have any track record, and I'm hoping that I can just, you know, be wonderful. You know, the odds of getting that loan are real low. Um, Ignorant. Low. <laughs> right. I've been there. <laughs> right. So, uh, but when you but when you change it and to say, hey, Mr. Business Banker. I'm thinking about buying an existing business, and look, here's the last five years of financial statements and tax returns, um, and, and you can see you know, what the cash flow has been and how it can afford someone to make a living and you know, pay the loan back to the bank, and uh, the employees will be in place, the customers are in place. That kind of business acquisition loan is much easier to get it'll tend to be something called an SBA guaranteed loan where the government helps the bank um, make the loan by saying, uh, hey, Mr. Banker, uh, if you, you know, you dot all your I's and cross all your T's right, um, we will guarantee, you know, the bulk of what your buyer owes you uh, in case he doesn't pay. Um, And so getting a loan from a bank becomes a lot easier with uh, a business acquisition. Um, the other mm-hmm. one that, that no one thinks about at first is that probably, oh, I'll say half of all small businesses get sold with seller financing, um, meaning that part of the price is paid to the seller, you know, over a period of months you know, after the closing. You know, so mm-hmm. if, the, if the price was three hundred grand, you know, maybe a hundred grand is paid with. Uh, I don't know, 60 monthly, 60 monthly payments, um, you know, with 5% interest. Yep. Um, yep. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, instant source of financing. Um, the, uh, but a lot of financing tends to be, you know, my savings. Um, there's something called a rollover for business startup where, you don't withdraw your money out of your retirement account, but you just change what it's invested in. So it's rather than being invested into a Fidelity Mutual Fund, it's it's invested into you know your own business, and so you can mm-hmm. utilize utilize that cash to have as a source of financing. Um, and there used to be things I'm joking, but there used to be things called uh, home equity loans. Um, you know, where, where people could use that. Um, those are t- pretty typical financing sources. Yeah, and and uh, if you do a, a home equity loan, it is, is uh, there's no additional taxes involved in that. Right, with right. the money. Right. Now you so, said Ray, you had a good experience. What was what was your experience? Um, well. I, I, I probably I may have paid a little bit too much for the existing franchise, but I I knew the the owner very well, and uh, we negotiated over uh, probably about a five or six week period, 
and uh, she was told by many of her friends that if you if you do that, if you sell the franchise to this person, you will never ever see that money again. And of course, uh, at the end of 60 uh, months, uh, we went out and celebrated, uh, sort of like the, the burning of the papers, if you want, and had right. dinner, and I paid I paid her the last payment, and she was just overjoyed, uh, and. The, the fact also that we kept all of her employees, and that was you know a, a thing for her because she was she she had created a, a relationship with them, and uh, at that time, which would be five years later, we still had all of those same employees. As a matter of fact, it's been I think ten years now, and we still have those employees. <laughs> so wow! It was a good. It, it worked out really well. Right. Yeah, a lot of so, those. Um, Acquisitions can can just be uh, um, uh, accelerate the success. Um, otherwise, you'd have to you know one by one have to get the next customer. You know? That's right. That's right. It it so did. It worked out well. As we talk about um, selling, this will a uh, segue into kind of a, another topic related. But first, breaking news. I've just seen a video of my four-month-old granddaughter learning to roll over. So, yes, ah. she can roll over. There you go. <laughs> so that makes me very excited. But can't she say franchise yet? I don't know. No, not yet. But <laughs> since Mediavine Marketing is not a franchise yet, and I know you're going to help me go there. Absolutely. Um, she is coast, going to be the CEO. You have to say coast to coast, though, Fred. Practice that. You have to say coast to coast. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I got 22 I got years to get there so she can take over as CEO. So, um, <laughs> and this, so this kind of rolls into my question of um, what's it like? How does uh, what's the phrase I want? Um, succession planning work with the franchise? Uh, is it different? Hey, you from... stole my question. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Well, blame it on my granddaughter. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you my favorite story. Over the last few years, it's um, it's in a, it's a plug, I guess, for the Fast Signs franchise program. Fast Signs, you know, has these uh, individual stores and little shopping plazas where people make all kinds of signs and marketing materials. And uh, they have a lot of guys that bought 25 years ago, um, and uh, are now thinking about you know retiring, selling their business, and so on. Now they're all into you know selling signs they've never sold a business um and what i've watched happen is this very simple process where they make a phone call to the headquarters the, the franchisor headquarters talk to so-and-so um and he says okay great great uh let me put you in touch with this uh franchise broker slash business broker um and, and uh um he will then um uh search around and and find you a buyer um, and then you guys can come up with a price and all the usual payment terms and that. Um, what I found is uh, in the last, uh, oh, I think it was uh, maybe a year or two, um, I had five referrals from those um, buyers, uh, to, I mean, to those buyers that the broker had found. Um, the, the buyers were thrilled to buy an existing business, the seller's effort to sell it was to make one phone call to the headquarters. Um, um, the broker did all the legwork 
to pair everybody up. Um, you know, the, the I, the lawyer, the you know, did the uh, sale and acquisition documents, uh, the landlord stuff, and the franchisor did the training of the new person. Um, and, and that's about as smooth as it gets. I mean, probably took yeah. three or four months. There are nightmare stories, though. You know, the seller has a, a failed business, and nobody wants to buy it, and no one wants to talk about it. And they're stuck on a lease, and it can be scary, too. Do you, do you find when you have something like that, uh, uh, which would be probably termed as a fire sale, real cheap, right. uh, do, you, do, you think, do you think something like that is easy to turn around? Uh I guess my hesitation probably means I think it's hard. Um, if, there was, if there was an obvious solution, probably the seller would have done it. Maybe this, if, the, if the problem was lack of money, you know, because the seller had used up his savings and now couldn't do the right marketing and, you know, do the things Fred would tell us to do, um, <laughs> uh, at that point, maybe a buyer could take the same business and and throw in a fresh amount of working capital and rather quickly turn it around. Um, but lots of times it's the problem might be deeper than that. It, it might be the location or the culture or the employees or, you know, the, the bad chicken that was served, uh, you know, whatever. It, 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 it can be real hard to get over the, the goodwill that became bad will. So each case is so different. I would imagine. I think it would be possible if you can pinpoint what the problem is. And like you say, it, it could be culture and it could be money. Uh, it could be just a, a lack of interest by the existing owner. Uh, and I, I know of at least one franchise where he was told to do his advertising in a different way, and he insisted on doing it his way, and it, it, it never yielded any new clients, and his business began to fail, you know, rapidly. And he, so, and he had spent you know, and he had spent that money, you know. Yeah, yeah, he he spent the money on advertising as he was required to, and still, it, you know, he just wasn't listening. Uh, usually, the best. A uh, course of action is to follow the model that the franchise gives you, and if you try to deviate de- uh, significantly from that, then that's when I, I see certain businesses begin to uh, fail. I agree. I agree. So, how many franchisors, or what percentage of franchisors, actually um, help franchisees sell their bi- their franchise when they're ready to sell? In your in your experience, uh, ooh, good question. That's not that's not a good that's not a good answer here on my part. Um, <laughs> I think um, here's a funny one, Fred. If I'm a franchise salesman or I'm a franchisor, and I could get fifty grand if I sold a new franchise. Um, and hope I have another location out there and uh, sell equipment to that buyer. Um, or I could just uh, look at this old location and put my new fresh buyer into there 
I might only get 15 or 20 grand, and it might be a troubled situation, and my buyer will get all disillusioned, um, or maybe even he doesn't. He never really actually goes and buys the location, but he studies it so much and talks to the bad franchisee that he decides to do neither buy that existing one or a brand new one. Oh my God! If that happens a few times to a franchisor, they mm-hmm. they're afraid of of introducing the fresh blood franchise buyer. You know sometimes and. You know, each each franchise is a reflection of the. They're small businesses usually, so they're a reflection of the owner. They all have different character. Um, it's um, not as easy as it sounds. Um, and if it's the and if the business is for sale because it's not making money. Hmm. That's, well, yeah. If it's not making money, they need to call me so we can do marketing yeah, for them. But they don't. So they so do they, make money, but they 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 <laughs> hibernate, they hibernate, and and it get it gets worse. They, instead, they need to you know really do the do the sale, have the capital, hire you, and and make it into a whole new place. Um, I suggest I I would guess Ray when you bought your existing territory nearby, you probably had to do a. That's called freshening up, right? Um, I, I don't quite understand what you may mean by freshening you up. Bought that, when you bought the adjoining territory um, way mm-hmm. back in the beginning, right? You know, you probably mm-hmm. had to do some, you know, change, you had to probably make some changes um, that, uh, um, in order for it to turn out to be a good experience. Well, um, I, I think the existing office location uh, was, of course, convenient for, the, for, for that location where it was, but right. we decided to consolidate that into our own office in, uh, at that time, North Aurora. And uh, luckily, all but one of the employees lived in Aurora and, and and not in Plainfield where I was buying the franchise. Oh wow, that's cool. And so that yeah, so they were excited about. The, first of all, they were excited by the fact that I rehired them, which uh, I believe, according to Illinois law, I didn't have to. Um, and uh, you know, they were excited by the fact that they 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 cut about twenty minutes off their trip to the office in Plainfield. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, uh-huh. that it, it was all it, like I say. It was it was a, an entirely, a really good experience uh, uh, buying that territory. So, I, I, it, except for paying the attorney fees, that was, yeah, it was yeah. all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you know this this whole franchising experience where people get to be their own boss and have their own business and use franchising as a way to bring in a brand and training and. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty exciting way to have for people to have their piece of the American dream. Um, it is. Been, it is. I've been working with it for years, and I just love watching people just you know make it. Mhm. Yep. And, and and you know, just to follow up a little bit on this entire thing is one of the reasons that people people ask me, why did you buy a franchise? Why didn't you just open up something on your own? I said, because there's no way I can compete with the brand. And I, 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 I see people who 
who buy a franchise, whatever it is, and they kind of push to the side the brand and, and then uh, grumble about paying their fees. And I said, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? <laughs> you know, because right. nobody said nobody says pass me pass me a a uh, facial tissue. They say Kleenex. Give me a Kleenex. So you know, it's kind of crazy if, if if you if you don't follow the plan that they have and and use what they they are giving you and what you're paying the money for. So we got a couple of seconds left, Michael. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, FranLaw.com, F-R-A-N-L-A-W.com, uh, 888-FranLaw, uh, and uh, our phone number is, uh, our regular phone number in Chicago area is 630-571-5626. Um, um, All right, so we'll talk to everyone. We want to thank Michael Ellis of FranLaw. Ray and I will be back next week on Thursday at 4 p.m. Central. Same franchise channel, same franchise time. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for being there. Thank you. Bye.